like to read you a short scripture. You may be seated so you can grab your Bibles. If you need a Bible, raise a hand because you may have left it at home or lost it in the fog. Point, everyone, stand up and point to someone who doesn't have their Bible in their hand and make those noises like, ah! Okay, don't really do that because she may never talk to you again or he, whatever. Pray, pray for me because I have no children's sermon today. I hope I have one soon because otherwise kids aren't going to get a children's sermon. So I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. Well, we'll see. This first one comes out of uh, Romans chapter 4, I hope. Romans chapter 4. And, uh, talks about Abraham, and we're going to read at verse 18. And uh, now nah, I can't think of a children's sermon yet. So, Against all hope, Abraham hoped, uh, hoped, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it was said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Now I hope some of you over... 50, 60, 70, 80, look forward to a message like this when you get close to 100. Okay? Uh, interesting. Hoped against hope. No logic. There wasn't logic in his hope. I still don't have a children's sermon. Maybe if I read another text. I think I can find another one. Sometimes, kids, it works out that way. Let's find one. Uh, this is Hebrews. It's a short one. If you have a long time finding Hebrews, it'll all be over before you get there. <clears throat> I should give prizes, right? Remember, did that in confirmation class once in a while. All right, let's have a game. Who can look it up? Hebrews 11. <laughs> all right, here's the ten dollars. <laughs> That's called an adult children's sermon. <laughs> Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. No children's sermon yet. I hope you're hoping, kids. <laughs> Let's try one more. Ezekiel, stay with this one. Ezekiel 37. <laughs> Uh, praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, for ten bucks, people really move. <laughs> Interesting little section, the Valley of Dry Bones. Uh, probably a vision, one you're familiar with and have talked about before. Um, Ezekiel 37. Verse 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. 
He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendon and flesh appeared on them and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, to the wind, the word breath and wind, very similar. To the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to, say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, These bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. Still no children's sermon. So we'll go on. Maybe we'll have one. I got stuff up here for them, but there's nothing to say to them today. No, can't think of anything. Sorry, kids. Anyway, hope's kind of an interesting, fascinating quality, isn't it? It is something that we described, if we were listening at all to the text, that it's uh, believing, trusting confidently that something we are just hoping for, uh, you know, that, that faith, excuse me, is that something we hope for. And, and we learn that, that hope is this thing that springs in us and and it creates for us sometimes confidence and peace and joy, and other times creates frustration and disappointment. Go uh, if you don't have any hopes, you can't have any disappointments, right? Uh, we sometimes uh, get into all kinds of mixed things about hope. The thing that struck me about what the wise men did and about the, how the light of God prevails is that they walked in hope. They walked in hope, believing that if they followed the star that they saw, if they stepped out in obedience and did what they were believed God had commanded them to do in following that star, that they would find the Savior at the end of that period of time. And carrying on that journey, they carried it on for however many days it took, however long it took, going through whatever difficulties or challenges they had to deal with. And even as they got to Bethlehem or as they got to Jerusalem, they kept asking in hope that they would finally be able to see the child that the star had announced and proclaimed to them. 
And so they lived in hope. And in hope, finally, God brought the desired result into their life. They kneel at the uh, either the manger, probably not the manger, but in the house that Jesus was in by this time. And they knelt at whatever cradle or thing he was living in or resting in. And they brought those gifts to Jesus. And that is kind of the, the history and the, the story of the wise men that we have presented to us in Scripture. But they functioned with an attitude of hope that brought them to the point and through the difficulties of their life until finally, even though some people weren't going to be very good advisors to them, they finally experienced all that God had for them. And as they did that, they then received all that God wanted them to receive. Now, we usually think of walking in darkness and lack of hope kind of outside the church, right? You kind of go, well, they don't have hope. They're the ones in darkness. And I go, I want you to understand the whole epiphany today maybe a little differently. I want to ask the question in your life, where are the areas of darkness that lack hope in your own life? Where are the areas that are keeping you from seeing the power of God in your life? When you begin to live without hope, you begin to do that not just because you're out there and have never met Christ. I mean, that is darkness. Certainly a totally appropriate application of all the things here. But what I want to address is the hopelessness and the darkness that we bring into our own world, into ourselves, while we still label ourselves as children of the light, children of the word, children of truth, children of God, sons and daughters of Christ, and whatever else we want to identify ourselves Sometimes we live in this unbelievable darkness and it closes around us and it creates everything from depression to self-hatred to loathing to fear to dread to a lack of obedience, a lack of faith to what we were studying over here being sluggards and slothful people to all kinds of other things where we stop being the church and the people of God because we have entered into and have begun to walk in darkness even though, in one sense, we have the light. The light is right here, but certainly God will never solve this problem over here in this situation. I know and I believe in God, but certainly God has nothing to say about another area of my life. And so this ability to walk in darkness and then live in darkness and have the darkness overcome you is real. And I thought as we studied the different sections, you've got Abraham as that unbelievable example hoping when there was no logic behind it, hoping and trusting that what God promised would come about, and not just waiting like the wise men, maybe a week, a month, or a year, however far they had to walk, maybe two years. Abraham had to work and continue to hope against hope, even as he saw his own body deteriorate and lose the ability to reproduce, his wife's body, his wife's body deteriorate and lose the ability to reproduce, it still says that in hope, Abraham continued to believe that what God had promised was going, would come true. And so I'm going, what would have been the difference if Abraham had stopped believing? Because that's what happens to a lot of people covered by the church, by the blood of Christ. They're in the church, but they lose hope. God will not bring this into my life. I will never have this particular thing I want. And so many times, for whatever reason, we lose hope or we lose this ability to trust what God has promised. And therefore, we stop doing what God asks us to do, which is to live in faith, live in trust, live in hope. 
which is what Abraham did. And if we read a little bit farther in the book of Romans, it says, and it was credited to him as righteousness because he lived in faith. And so here's this man by his living testimony, by his own actions, God will one day give us a child, right? That obedience that he continued to demonstrate in that life that he continued to live in hope. And so that's the example that I want you to keep a little bit as a backdrop. Try to understand sometimes, uh, you know, when God asks you to do tasks, they sometimes take a lot longer than you anticipated. I mean, I'd hate to be Moses, right? I live in hope that his prophecy about the flood comes true because otherwise I just spent 150 years and a whole lot of money and time doing something that isn't going to be any good to anybody, okay? Uh, and so you've got the reality of hope does not always come in your timing. I mean, uh, have you ever hoped that your kid would grow up? And then when they grow up, I hope that they would be little kids again. Isn't that crazy? Parents got some of these. Anyone relate to that or is it just me? I kind of go, I just wish they were little, just for a little while, one more time again. And then you're just, oh, when are they going to grow up, right? You hit, and you've got these strange hopes. And uh, it never quite happens quite in the sequence that you think it should. Never quite in the timing you think it should. And so the challenge for us is to live in hope even when the sequence and the timing is not quite what we anticipate. And so then I thought of this section that comes out of Ezekiel. Ah, still no children's sermon. I got some really good food here today, too. Well, if I can't think of one, I'll get it. <laughs> It'll work out okay. <clears throat> Are your kids hoping? Are you praying for me? Because I need prayer. Because otherwise I can't think of a thing to tell you about today about hope or children. So I, all right, anyway. Ezekiel 37. And I looked at this section and the, the example of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is, is a prophet to the children of Israel at one of the worst times in their existence. They are captives. They're enslaved. They're under the power of Babylon. They have been taken away. Their, their country has been ripped out of their hands. There is only a, a smattering of people left in the Jerusalem and around Jerusalem at all. Uh, and too small to even number as children of Israel. The land has been completely taken over by foreigners. And uh, the whole situation is wretched. And in, for all practical purposes, there's no logical reason to believe that anything is going to change. And so in the middle of this relatively hopeless condition, we have this example of this vision that God gives to Ezekiel. And it's a powerful, moving, living vision because he goes, come here, son of man. And if you read it in the Hebrew, it goes, son of Adam, which is, and if, anyway, if you read uh, the, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they call him son of Adam, son of Eve, or daughter of Eve. It actually comes from Scripture, so it's kind of cool. That's an aside. It has no relevance. And, but I liked it. Son of Adam. It's kind of cool. The sons of Adam, daughters of Eve. I like that. It'd be neat to address you like that. It, it takes away races. You ever notice that? Where are you? You're a daughter of an Eve. You're a daughter of Eve. There are no races. There's one race. There's one human race. That's it. All the rest of that junk is out of the, out of the pit of hell stirred up by evolution. It didn't come from God's heart. You're sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. So when you keep that in mind, uh, anyway, back to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 37, this miracle is taking place, and Ezekiel is looking at this, and, and God takes him into this valley. And as far as I can tell, Ezekiel believed, I mean, it, for, you know, it's one of those, 
this is what he was really seeing, what he was really feeling, and I don't know if it was a real value, valley or not. I'm just going to accept it and, and leave it there. But he takes him, and then he looks around, and he, he walks him through the valley. You understand? He walks up and down the aisles of the church. Are you getting the analogy yet? Okay. He walks up and down the, analogy, uh, the aisles of the church, up and down the pews. And as he walks, he says, oh my goodness, this place is filled with bones. And then it's an emphasis, dried bones. We would say bleached bones. Bones that have almost begun to literally disintegrate and deteriorate as the sun and all the stuff rips them and tears them apart. And he said, as I walk through that, then I get asked this unbelievable question. And if you could imagine a finger pointing at you right now and God asking the rest of the congregation, you think I can make him live? What about her? I shouldn't pick on you. I picked on you the other day. What about, you understand? Try to understand this vision because it is literally what eventually God is going to try to get Ezekiel to say. He's going to say, you're the Israel, right? He says, this is what I'm going to do for Israel. Where are your bones bleached? What part of your life has been covered in darkness and bleached out by the circumstances of life and lives under that hovering cloud of darkness and sadness and grief and depression and oppression and everything else? What part of you is being dried out there while Satan beats you to death and says no one will ever love you or this is the only person that will ever love you or one situation or another or you will never overcome this sin or you will never recover from that wickedness or that behavior or this is the way your family will always be or this thing will never change or whatever else he whispers. What part of your life is being bleached by the wretchedness of a sin by the compromise of your own life, by the wretchedness of the world, it's being bleached out and it's losing all life, all hope. And if you looked at it, if you understood in a sense, and you did it two ways, one as I walked through the church like I gave that example to you, but also imagine that you're walking through your life. Just walk past your husband and your wife. Walk in front of your sons and daughters. Look at their bones. Are they being bleached in the sun? And he looks at you and he says, do you believe, do you think I can bring your son back to life? You understand the challenge? The challenge is asking you, do you know how to live in faith? Do you understand what I'm calling you to do? Do you understand that this is different than anything you can picture or understand? That's the miracle of what God is asking us to look at. I'm saying there is darkness in my life darkness in my heart and I get overwhelmed as I look down at the different people and circumstances of my life and I hit one and say there is no way God that I can see any way clear that your light will ever enter this and that your life will ever get into this situation and then I want to call myself bleached bones and not learning the lesson of Ezekiel and so the challenge I'm posing for you today is to walk through your life or feel the pastor or God better yet certainly walking through the aisles of a congregation, looking over the bones of the church, looking over what Satan has ripped apart and torn down, looking over the circumstances of people's lives, and asking the pastor or asking you as another member in the church, can I bring this back to life? Can I resurrect it? Do you believe I can do this? And that becomes the challenge. Still no children's sermon. 
Maybe, maybe something will come to me yet. I hope. I really got good treats today, too. Two different kinds. So you begin to understand. When you look at your life, when you understand what God's asking you to do, notice what he did with Ezekiel next. Ezekiel responds this way. Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Not a bad answer. That's a good answer. But it is an answer of faith. And it is an answer of, it's all up to you, Lord. It rests in your hand. I know where the power is, and it's not in me. If instead of seeing yourself as somehow a powerful person, if you could see the situations and circumstances and people in your life as dried bones and then asking yourself, what is it you're going to do with these bleached bones laying on the floor of the desert or the picture that in your mind? And the answer you look at is like this, I can't do anything. And then he says, well, these bones live. And you look finally at God, which is where your eyes have to be. You have to be focused on God. I can't do anything, Lord, but it's all up to you. It is in your hands. And then at the next point, God steps in and asks him to do something. You understand? Trusting in God is not just sitting there. Trusting in God always means engaging in doing what God asks you to do. It always means you have to step forward into the situation. It's not just waiting around going, Boy, I sure hope God does something in this person's life. Boy, I sure hope God helps those people that are really hungry. It isn't that. It is the act or action that steps up next because the Spirit always says, what do you think? Can something be changed here? Can this thing be turned around? And you respond, I don't know, Lord. It's up to you. And then he says, you. And he'll come into your life with these commands. Watch what he does. Then he said to me, prophesy. Prophesy. And he gives them the words of that prophecy. You understand, when I started to pray over you this morning, when was the last time I prayed over my people enough to prophesy your dead bones back to life? That becomes the challenge for the pastor, for the elders, for the fathers, for the mothers, for each one of you in the circumstances of your life. When was the last time you prayed and prophesied over the dead bones in your family? When was the last time you prayed and prophesied and you began to call down, and this is what it means, I call down the Word of God, I bring down the promises of God, I proclaim them over this person or that person, this individual or that individual, and I begin to speak the truth of God's Word into that person's life. And you begin to understand, that's what God's asking here. He says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, what do you see? I see hopelessness and nothing moving and no way for me to do anything. And he said, prophesy over it. Over this? Yeah. Try to understand that next step. You understand? It's when my father or my mother or you or the husband, wife, whatever it is, begins to look at that son, that daughter, that child, and they begin to say, I proclaim. I call down the power of God's word over you. I speak the truth that God will release your mind. I speak the truth that God will make you see things clearly again. I speak the truth that God has not forsaken you. And I speak his love into your heart. And I pro, you understand? 
You start to proclaim the word. That's why you're supposed to be people of the word who never leave their Bibles at home. I got to know what word, what promise I'm going to proclaim over my son, my daughter, my wife, my husband, whatever it is. Because that's that act of faith. That's that step. You understand? That's where he steps forward. Ezekiel steps forward and he does what God has asked him to do. And so he continues on. So I prophesy. What does God say about this church, about you? So we prophesied? Are we doing it? Are you doing it? Am I doing it? So I prophesied. Obedience. Unbelievable. Obedience. Stepping out when you can't see. Believing that God is more than able. Understanding what God is doing. Kids, come on down. What word was I repeating a lot today? Hope. Were you hoping I'd remember something to use in the children's sermon? Were you hoping for that? You understand? It's kind of interesting when you understand what hope is. Do you hope you get some candy today? Keep hoping. Because knowing how this children's sermon is going, you may or may not, because... Then you learn how to, what's the word? Good. You can go back to your seats. What did you say? What was that? (laughs) Mothers, if they start to cry, please send them back up. Isn't that wild? You, you think, you come, oh, good, good. Well, it's not turning out quite the sequence I thought. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, well, aren't, aren't I, I going to get what I want? I've been hoping so long. And in a child's world, it's been a long time already. Okay. But I've been hoping so long. And, and it starts, but then it doesn't happen the way I thought. In fact, what am I told to do? Keep on Hoping. Oh, no. Because the last thing I want to do is hope when it takes and requires work. The last thing I want to do is hope when I, you know, I'm getting so frustrated. This person, this event, this situation hasn't changed. And the truth is, it may never change. You understand? So the question goes, how can I hope when those situations are like that? But he prophesies. Something interesting begins to happen. It says that the bones and the noise all kind of began to move. That there was this movement of bone by bone and situation by situation. And then it speaks about kind of a rumbling and a noise. It's very similar to what you begin to understand happened at Pentecost in the noises and the stuff as people are being moved and changed and all kinds of things. But the the event here begins to move forward. He's watching and it says, As I watched... The bones came together and then sinews formed and then skin and yet they didn't move. They didn't move. They did not possess life. They had the appearance of life. They looked like they were alive, but they were people with no life. 
You understand? And so I had to prophesy again. And it says this is the next point. Then he said to me, I looked at it, he says, there was no breath in them. So it'd be a little bit like you can imagine, here's Adam and he's standing there or laying there and he's just, there is no life. It, there is nothing moving. It's not as it should be yet. And he goes, and then he said to me, prophesy to the breath or to the wind, prophesy, son of Adam, and say to it, what is the sovereign, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come and uh, from the four winds and breath and breathe into these slain that they may live. And verse 10, so I prophesied the obedience. I did what God asked me to do. You see, it's that a step of obedience that you, you have to understand. I got into a situation with a uh, young lady at school. You don't know her, so I can use her as an example. And uh, the Lord had brought her to a great deal of conviction. We'd been studying sexuality and, and marriage and all kinds of things. And she said, you know, Pastor Harmon, God's really led me to realize I'm not supposed to be with this boyfriend of mine. I said, well, okay. And, and uh, we talked a little more and she asked some more questions. And finally, she breaks up with her boyfriend. And it's pretty traumatic and everything else like that. And uh, she begins to function. You could watch her spirit change right in front of you. People always think you can't see these changes, you know. Uh, anybody who's been around it, you just watch people change right in front of your eyes. And her spirit changed. And she was just, it was like a whole burden was taken off of her back. And I, we just talked some more. And, and then it was about six weeks. And she found out when you break up with your boyfriend, you get, come on, ladies, help me out. You get lonely. Oh, no one's reassuring you how beautiful and wonderful you are. And there's no one to go to dances, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera with, right? And so uh, she was going through some of this trauma, and she would come and talk to me. And we'd talk. We had great talks and conversation. And then there'd be something in class that would just encourage her, and she'd just step forward. She was just walking through an obedience. And then she went home for Christmas vacation. And uh, she came back. She said, Pastor Arm, can I talk to you? And I said, well, sure. She said, uh, so-and-so and I got back together. <laughs> well, it's really hard. You know, God makes things really clear. And I said, oh, okay. Okay. She said, but my mother said that I can't date him until I'm at least 18. Because he's a little older than she is. And I said, okay. And she said, I want to be obedient to my mom. So I told my boyfriend, or this guy, that I wasn't going to be able to date him. We could be friends and stuff, but I wasn't going to be able to date him until at least I turned 18. And he got really upset. And, and he uh, got so upset that he told me if, if I stopped dating him, he would cut himself. And she said, and I don't know what to do. And, and, and so... Um, you know, he went home and he cut himself. He cut his initials in, or my initials in his arm. And I'm going, okay. And I said, what do you think? Well, I just don't know what to do. Have you ever seen people do that? They kind of get sucked back into it. And I go, let me ask you a question. Is this a healthy person? You know, if you don't pass your next quiz, I am going to cut myself for you. I'm going to cut your initials in my arm if you don't pass your next test. You didn't get an A, slash. You better go home and study or slash. And she said, no. I said, sweetie, 
God has told you over and over and over and over again. He's told you through your mother. He's told you by your own spiritual conviction. He shared it with you. I've confirmed it with you in class. You've got it witnessed to now. God is telling you this is not the right person for you to be at all serious about. And I said, what's holding you back? And that was the moment where you kind of watch them. They either make the decision or they... And I watched her fluctuate, so I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. That was Friday. That's the darkness that Christians can walk in. It is the darkness that although I have the light of Christ in my life, I can bring darkness right into my circumstance and not deal with it. Why? Loneliness, fear, apprehension, bonding. Who knows what all of her her reasons or my reasons, whatever they are, as we think about those areas of darkness that come back into our world. Like the dog returning to the vomit. Why do I keep going back? Why do I keep like a pig return to the to the slop that I just left. That's the point that you know we're trying to grapple with because I don't want you in darkness. And so here he steps out in obedience. He looks at the people's lives. He looks at these dead bones not moving as they're formed up. And he prays and he prophesies the next prophecy. He speaks obediently the next word over them. And he says this to them. And he calls the four winds. And they came, and they came to life and they stood up on their feet. And then the application comes. Ezekiel, that's what it's like to work with the children of Israel. These are my people. And the truth is, I want you to proclaim and prophesy over them life. I want you to prophesy the truth over them so that they understand who it is that will build them up, will bring them back out of Babylon, will reestablish them, and I will be their God. And so you begin to understand... That's the life that God's trying to produce in us. God is asking you to deal with your friend, your situation. What mine is is maybe different than yours. What your wife's is is maybe different than your husband's. But we have them. We have that ability to have God tell us no, parents tell us no, friends tell us no, close people tell us no. We still walk into the same stupid situation. We walk down the same path, and then we can't understand why we're hurting so bad because we're sitting in a situation of darkness and there doesn't seem to be any hope. And God says, why don't you proclaim the victory and the truth over the situation? Why don't you proclaim what my word says over the situation? Why don't you understand and step out in obedience? And I go, it's required of people who step out in obedience to possess that faith because they have to live in that confidence that what God has said will come true. And if you don't think we need a church that starts to live in hope, we need it right now today more than we ever have. We need to step out in such obedience, we have to proclaim over the north, south, east, and west around us, and east, west, north, south, yeah, get them all? North, south, yeah. North, south, east, and west. We have to proclaim the victory that is in Christ, the power of God over them. We have to begin doing that spiritual battle and walking in ways that we've never walked before. The rest is not adequate. People have this unbelievable ability, including me, including you, to walk into darkness, claim it as our own, own it and walk in the middle of it, and then have it suck the life right out of us. And so that's what we have to stand against. That's what we have to walk against. That's what we cannot continue to do. And if you don't think it takes time and it takes some requirements of hurt, the little kids, they're not getting their candy today yet, have they? It isn't easy wondering when. 
You remember when you're little and everything seems so much longer. And you begin to understand that's what means what it means when we say hope. I will continue to hope and I will trust in God. And here's the part. Even if I have to live like Abraham, hoping year after year after year after year. I will trust in you. But then the second part. And I will do all that you command me to do. I will speak the truth to a person. I will demonstrate forgiveness. I will walk into a person's life. I'll back off a person. I'll do, Lord, what you command me to do. That's that second part of the process. It isn't, like I said, just hoping. It is the acting in faith at what God proclaims to you. Do you think it was easy easy to be Ezekiel going and proclaiming this kind of message of hope in the middle of slavery, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of people who did not want to leave Babylon in some cases because they finally had reestablished themselves? In many cases, they had grown up there all their lives. Just imagine for a moment that if you are older or younger than 70 years old in this group, you never lived over in Jerusalem. And now here's Ezekiel, your pastor, coming to you and saying, guess what? We're going to get go, to go back to this barren land where everything is ripped up and knocked down. Well, these are the land of our forefathers, where there's nothing there but what we used to tell you about. And you're living comfortably or relatively comfortably in the area of Babylon, having adjusted to your new professions, your houses, and whatever else you've acquired. And you say, well, get ready because we're going back. This is the hope that God has for you. That required a great deal of obedience and faith on Ezekiel's part. And he said, listen, you're going to be prophesying over dead bones. And you're going to prophesy bringing them back to life so that you can become the nation I've always wanted you to be. And so in the framework of that, you begin to understand what God is doing there for the children of Israel and what he wants to do for you. He goes, you need to become people who are prophetic and proclaiming the truth of God's word over your family. You need to be prophetic enough to proclaim the victory that is yours in Christ. You need to proclaim the power of God and break the hold of Satan and bash down what he set up against you because as you start stepping out in faith, you start stepping out in obedience, you're going to begin to see what God will do. And that's the point that we need to understand. Hope is built and rested solely on Jesus Christ and the work of God in our lives. But it requires that next step of obedience until finally we get the beauty of this words at the end. Then you, will, then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord, that I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own hand, on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares to you. Have you ever thought about the possibility that the victory in your family's life has not happened because you haven't stepped out in faith yet? Is that a possibility? That you haven't proclaimed the victory in Christ? You keep looking at somebody to change. You keep looking for something to be different. And it says, no, you, you proclaim my word over that dead bone. That husband, that wife, that child who are the dead bones. You step out in faith and then you will know that I am the Lord. You understand, God is waiting for that kind of obedience in his church, in his people. God is asking us to demonstrate that. His will, his desire is to bring the dead bones back to life. Pray with me if you would. (coughs) 
Raise up warriors, Lord. Give us the heart of Ezekiel. Give us new eyes to look at people around us like we never have before. And by your name and in your authority, Lord, help us to proclaim the truth over our sons, our daughters, our husbands, and our wives. Let the power of your word change our own attitudes and our own hearts. Bring us, Lord, not only to the point of understanding your call, but bring us to that next point of true obedience. Make it change our lives and the way we react and respond. And begin, Lord, in my heart, begin, Lord, in the heart of your people in this fellowship, that we might begin to proclaim in truth the victory that is the world's through you, Lord. We ask that you would rescue us from any darkness or stupidity or ignorance that we live in. And we pray by your grace and your mercy that you would work in our lives. Have mercy on us, Lord, even now. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Children, come down while the offering is being taken, if you would. Uh, if you're a guest or a visitor, please do not put anything in. We just appreciate you being our guest and visitor. And uh, if you need some, like I always say, take it out. Well, you're more hopeful now, maybe? Don't know yet for sure, right? Yeah. Did you get the whole children's sermon? What was it all about? Hope. And sometimes hope means you have nothing in your hand. In fact, your hand's empty and your stomach's a little empty until finally something happens, right? Yeah. I want you to remember that. I do have a treat. Never lose hope. Okay? God will answer your prayer. Here's your treat. Go ahead, Mark. Behold a valley filled with bones, bones on every side. A valley vast, the floor so full of bones so very dry. The Lord did ask, can these bones live? Might these bones rise once more? What else was I to say but you alone can tell, O Lord? A legion now alive, a resurrected army, a living holy host of a people born again. Then prophesy, O Son of Man, cry out to this dead horde. And when they come to life again, they'll know I am the Lord. And when I spoke what I was told, there came a rattling sound. As bone to bone, they formed a mass of bodies on the ground. A legion now will rise, a resurrected army, a living holy host of a people born again. The dead will come alive, their graves will lie abandoned, and all who dwell within the dust will raise and shout for joy. All right, as we uh, pray today, 
going to ask that you think about, we're going to do three areas. One is uh, the areas in your life that need prophecy over, proclamation. Think about those. Second one, I think about, I want you to think about the areas in your family or close, uh, close people to you. And the third is I want you to think about the church and the nation. And uh, be very alert to that as each you think about each one. In other words, I'm not going to ask you to proclaim it out loud yet, but I certainly encourage you to do it in your own house. Uh, don't be afraid to walk through your house and pray through your house and, and ask God, you know, go walk up to your child's bed, lay your hands on their bed and say, Lord, I claim this bed for you. And I ask that you would bless this child who sleeps here every night with a restful sleep. And I set this child free from, you understand, do that. Start trusting in your God. Try try, to start prophesying and exercising what God has given you the privilege of doing as mother and father, husband or wife. God never anywhere said you you can't pray for your wife or you don't have authority over her life in that sense. You've been given that power because He has brought the two. He has made you one. And so you begin to understand what God is calling you to do. I mean, you don't have to do it in their face. Do it quietly. Do it privately. But do it. Start exercising the faith. We begin to pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at our own lives, as we examine our own hearts, I pray that you'd bring into light our darkness. Make us aware of the areas of compromise and wickedness and stupidity and foolish that we have justified and rationalized and made excuses for. Heavenly Father, by your power, hear us as we proclaim the truth of that you are more than able to come against and uproot out of our hearts every one of those sins. I speak to my life right now, Lord, by your name, and I ask that you would uproot. Now you fill the words in. That you would set me free from. That you would turn my heart away from. And that you would turn me toward. I pray your protection over my life and my own attitude and heart. I pray that you would help us become doers of the word and not just hearers, Lord. And I also pray, Lord, for these people in my family that come to my mind now. And I proclaim the truth that you are more than able to rescue and bring hope and understanding and life back into their circumstance. You are more than able to break the back of depression or sadness or grief. That you are more than able... And then you finish it now. That you are more than able. I pray for this member of my family. Who? Go ahead. I pray, Lord, a hedge of protection around. I take authority that has been given to me because of your Holy Spirit's presence in my life. And I proclaim the victory that is theirs through you, Jesus Christ. I proclaim the freedom that is theirs through you, Jesus Christ. And I rebuke Satan and the work of the demonic and the work of their own sinful nature. And I claim them as yours, Lord Jesus. And I ask that you would bring life into their dead bones and into their dead hearts, into their dead spirits, Lord. Now think about the church and this country. Heavenly Father, by your name and in your authority, I lift up my face toward you, calling in mercy that you would begin a healing of 
that you would set people free who? That by your name, Lord, you would do this work in our own church and fellowship here. Father, rescue this nation. Rescue your church. Rescue my own heart. We have been given a victory. And we lay it down and we never use it. We have been given authority. And we lay it down and we forget about it. We need to become people of faithfulness, of obedience to the moving of your spirit and to your word. I pray today over Ron and Shirley's son Tom and his granddaughter, or their granddaughter Becca as they are in uh, Haiti, in a relatively dangerous situation ministering in a medical uh, team down there. Lord, we proclaim... And we take authority over that area they're at. And we, by your name, Lord Jesus, proclaim that there would be mighty warring angels around them. That the people that come to them for need would be able to come freely and openly. That there would be such a moving of your spirit that there would be a healing over those people. That children and parents' lives would be turned around. That there would be a situation where people cannot come against that. Where anyone who tries to hinder the work of your spirit and the work of that team would be thwarted and hindered, Lord, themselves, and more importantly, that their own hearts would be turned and swayed and that they would be set free, Lord. I claim authority not because it's mine, but I claim authority, Lord, because in me is the Holy Spirit. In me, with this body of believers, is the gift of truth and the integrity of the Holy Spirit, and we together proclaim and take authority that we would ask that there would be a work of your grace and your power in every area of that situation. Not only keep them safe down there, Lord, bring them safely back when their tasks are finished and let grace and mercy flood their hearts in every way. Heavenly Father, make us people who have walked in the battle. Help us stop hanging our heads. Help us to understand what victory means. Help us to understand what life breathed into dead bones really means. Help us to look at it in our own lives and the lives of people around us. Give us eyes like Ezekiel was given and a heart like Ezekiel was given. And make us faithful prophets, Lord. Make us people of the word. Pour that into our hearts in every way. And we pray this all in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. As uh, we get ready for the closing...